Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each traditional episode sees guests and co-hosts and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today is another special episode where we are continuing our coverage of the excellent Fantasia International Film Festival, which once again means that one, all of our excellent co-hosts are hanging out, chatting films, and two, they span a whole bunch of different genres, but all of them were part of the Fantasia Festival festivities. So welcome folks at home to another day on Humanoid Island, where all your monstrosities come true. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I continue to be your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and Looper on everything genre film. Um, and yet again, we have all our co-hosts. We have Luna Munwi, we have Andre Couture, we have Mike Vaughn. Basically, our monster milkshake brought all the co-hosts to the yard, and we are damn proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> damn right. So, uh, everyone, how are you all doing today? Doing good. <laughs> <laughs> Excited to yeah. talk about Fantasia. I, uh-huh. like, we mm-hmm. haven't really debriefed about any of these films, so I'm excited to chat about them. Absolutely, no, me too. Uh, actually, uh, folks at home, this whole show is basically a, a big old act of love to to genre cinema. And this week, we all watch a bunch of stuff, and we're just going in raw chaos. i barely know what everyone is going to be reviewing so so it's going to be awesome and i'm super looking forward to the surprise because i don't i don't get surprised anymore i don't even like i rarely even watch a film and i'm like well i didn't expect that to happen i'm always just like oh okay that happened well yeah right (laughs) yeah Yeah, this was in the press release yeah, exactly. Like, I saw that trailer. Who couldn't see that trailer? And that is why I don't watch yeah. trailers. Yeah, I, I don't do those either. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, it's it's a, a good move not to. But with with my new work, I kind of have to keep tabs of like new mm-hmm. trailers. And I don't watch them every time. But, you know, you see them sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah. does anyone have any preferences on who wants to talk about their film first? I mean, I can go first. Let's I don't do mind. It. All right. So, um, the film that, I mean, struck me probably the most this last week was the film All the Moons. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else watch that one? No. I did, I think. Let yeah, me, I saw that I one. Sure. So, the synopsis says um, an impeccably crafted and heart rending variation on the vampire genre, which takes its place among the best of the bloodsucker films which i mean i don't actually i like yeah sure um these synopses really throw me for a loop like maybe i mm. should start writing them um, <laughs> <laughs> it is a little sensationalist um, yeah it, it's going two for three right now at least right mm-hmm. yeah um so it is a vampire film um i'll try not to spoil much of anything but it is what i found really interesting is that it's uh 
it's from the Basque region of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. France and Spain. Um, so it the, it's just a very interesting dialect to listen to. And mm. um, just all of, I found the setting just absolutely compelling. And that's probably just my love of that area um, of mm-hmm. Europe and the history of that area. Um, but as far as the movie goes, like it, it starts with a, um, what do you call it? Not a convent, but where kids live there in the convent. An orphanage? Or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but the... <laughs> it's <laughs> some kind of sanctuary for children, I think. It's just child jail. <laughs> yeah, child, <laughs> child jail. Religious child jail. Like, like a child <laughs> depository. Like, yeah. I have this spare child here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yep. And event- essentially there is a war. I f- it says which one. I forgot which one. Yeah. Um, and the building gets destroyed and this is not really spoiling anything if you saw the cover of the film <laughs> but um mm-hmm. a small child gets rescued by a vampire and eventually turned i thought the the lore of the vampire was really interesting in this one sounds mm. like they can only choose one um which is supported later on in the film in general, I just thought it was a beautiful, sweet, like, heart-touching story that happened to have vampirism in it. And and it's more of, like, that the vampire aspect of it is just embodying the other um, mm-hmm. or different or, you know, what monsters usually represent. Mm-hmm. And and I just thought it was really beautifully written. The music is just gorgeous. The cinematography mm-hmm. is amazing. I thought the child actor was incredible. She did a great um, job. Yeah, like I just and I I won't again I won't spoil anything, but I I think that the culmination of the film was a beautiful take on what it would mean to choose one person. Um, as your vampireling, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and and how that affects things. It's just, I don't know. I was left awestruck at the end of it, so I highly, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it reminded me a little bit, not necessarily tonally, but just in terms of what it is of kind of some early Del Toro. Films. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, because it doesn't really have like the dark fantasy tone that his movies often do, but a lot of his films have these supernatural goings on with these things that we would consider to be monsters, but the real terrors are the navigation of the human world and its exactly. terrors. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and I I think that really comes across because you don't really, I mean, yeah, you know, vampires whatever but the the monstrosity is war you know yeah and what it makes people right and also how it affects everyone and their economy yeah right 
but then the way that all of those uh, things come together to specifically rob uh, a person of their uh, their childhood and their innocence. Yes, is, is a through line that happens a lot with uh, Del Toro films, but also specifically this one, and mm-hmm. that's a theme that really goes through all the way, like all mm-hmm. the way through the film, without like getting too detailed and spoiling mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Yeah, no. and the the vi- like visually, it's it's very gritty. Like, it, it's you know, there it's yeah. very dirty. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like dust. There's a lot of limited visibility in scenes. Yeah, yeah, and and you can feel that authenticity of like what it's like to live out there, working hard and doing the best you can with what you have. And, mm-hmm. um, and by out there, I mean rural in rural areas. Yeah. Um, and this, the storyline is just this like sweet, innocent, beautiful light in the middle of all of that, you know, s- s- surrounding of, like you said, war and terror of, um, of human acts but also like visually. Yeah. And I also think that it's interesting too, because uh, you brought up something that, that makes me want to clarify what I said earlier. Uh, just to be clear, like it doesn't really, it has a lot of Del Toro-esque themes, but it doesn't feel like it's, you know, trying to replicate one of his films. Cause it does like, kind of like you're saying, feel much more like a war film that contains these elements than like a fantasy film, even though it's kind of fairy tale-ish structurally. Yeah. Right. Or at least it, it feels like it's balanced, but in like a little bit more tipping the scale towards focusing on the horrors of war mm-hmm. than the other. Yeah. And to yeah. clarify, like it, it, there, it's not like it's set in a war. Like you don't see battles and soldiers or anything like that. It's that it's set in a countryside that is ravaged by war. Right. Yeah right yeah like the, the only time that you know that this is part of a conflict like that is um there's just like a a little um a title card at the bottom that says you know like what the year is and like what the war is uh yeah i, I can't remember i just know that it, it it's opens the last carlos yeah, yeah and then the other one was the spanish civil war yeah mm-hmm yeah, so it's just that, like, and even then, the the way they did that was beautiful, where it was, like, panned out with that title card, and it makes you feel like you're you're observing this, like, lo- bigger, longer timeline in the way that mm-hmm. a vampire would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, in, okay, so it specifically takes place in the time period of the last Carlist War, Carlist. which is a term for... Uh, a succession of Spanish civil wars in the 19th century. Okay. Okay. Cool. And, yeah. Thank you. And I assume the, uh, yeah, cause I, I couldn't find that from the Fantasia summary, but when I went to their website, that's how they find it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. I'm so glad that you chose to, to, to review it too, because I think it's, um, it was one of the ones that I really wanted to see when, when all of the waves were announced finally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it didn't disappoint. It was really lovely. Yeah. On to Mike. 
Um, yeah, mine actually goes kind of naturally into this one. Um, the The first film that, that I would want to bring up is um, uh, Martyr's Lane, which is uh, directed by Ruth Platt. Um, mm. It's it's an adaptation of a short that she has of the same name, um, which I didn't see the short. I just saw the, the feature. But this is one that uh, pretty much entirely depends on the child acting in the film and uh, just absolutely blew me away. Um, it's... Uh, so it's about a, a little girl, uh, Leah, who's she's about 10 years old and she lives with her family in like a... I would say a large house, like, like near the woods. Uh, her father is... He's like a local vicar in town um, and he works with the church and, and um, all the parishioners with their issues. So he like is not totally in the picture in terms of like the family dynamic, but uh, her mother is the one that she interacts with the most. And she has like this uh, strict rules oriented way of like parenting Um she has an older sister, probably like high school age or whatever, I think, uh, where she constantly picks on her. And uh, Leah succumbs to some pretty bad asthma attacks. Um, and like she knows what to do. She, she has like an inhaler. And while it still comes on, like her sister will often like make fun of her while she's having these asthma attacks or... Like, mm. because of her uh, just, like, chastising her, you know, um, teasing her, knowing that it's going to bring on an asthma attack. Um, so there's, like, a general feeling that Leah's getting that the family doesn't necessarily, like, fully love her. Uh, so we, we have the tone set from there. And then... Leah notices that her mom has this locket that she wears around her neck and it contains something that she wants to find out. Like she is, she obsesses about like opening it and seeing what it is. And early on in the movie, she does like she opens it and it's like, it's a small curl of like blonde hair. Uh, and then she takes it. She's fascinated by it. She doesn't know why it's there, what the purpose of it is. And then uh, she tries to put it back, but is scared away because, like, she's trying to put it back while her her mom is in bed. Uh, mm -hmm. And then she stirs awake, so she runs to her bedroom and loses it. For her, it's gone forever. And the next morning, they're looking for it, uh, the mother and the father, and they're they're very, very worried about it being gone. So something seems like it's going to be um, something seems like something's going to go wrong from there. And that night Leah's awoken by um, a strange blonde girl wearing angel wings at the door. And she asks to come inside and then she lets her in and they start spending time together. And from here, it's all really um, 
scenes between them two and then Leah interacting with her mom, asking her like follow-up questions about the things that the girl with no name has talked to her about or given her instructions to do specifically. And she starts like uncovering this family mystery about uh, what this girl is telling her. Um, and I, I don't want to get too detailed from there because it really will kind of ruin the mystery. But um, this is one that like, I don't know. It's, it's a, a deep like dark mystery that um, I, I think is done really, really well. And the performances are, are the one thing that it hinges on and it, completely follows through with that. Um, I did find out that this is going to get picked up by Shudder um, mm, mm-hmm. for September 9th is the official release. So um, when that comes out, I, I highly recommend people check that out. Absolutely. It's, it's really, really good. Like, I guess I could call it a slow burn, but not like a I like those 824 slow burns or, you know, two and a half hour things. I think this is a 90 minute feature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, th- this is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like like I found it very engaging and atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And the, the young actresses really hold your attention. They both like mm-hmm. bring a lot of energy and a lot of... Um, you know, like like a really nice magical feeling and how they interact with each other and in the world. And I, uh, so it didn't. It is a slow burn, but also it's it's, it's certainly not boring. Oh yeah, yeah. It no. Although I have a like, I love slow burns, so I'm never a yeah. good judge of character when it comes out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is great. And people are like, oh, yeah. Well, like as slow burns go, this is a faster slow burn, but like yeah, it's, still like, it's a medium burn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's a slower burn than most. There you go. But it's, it's like in the middle. It's, yeah. It's like a simmer, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I love, yeah. loved this film. Um, and mm. I, I don't think it's, like, giving anything away necessarily that it's a ghost film, which is one of my very favorite types of <laughs> films. I hate if ghost you kid movies. noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You put like a ghost kid in a movie and Luna's like, I'm not fucking watching that. <laughs> I know. As soon as I saw the the cover, I was like, hmm, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have my attention. Yeah, this uh, is definitely going on the uh, the ghost kids list for sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, it's, it was really delightful story, um, the way it was paced and told. And I think that one of the things that I really appreciated from this was the family dynamic mm-hmm. that um, I, you know, uh, I think is pretty common. Uh, it's commonly commented on for sure. Um, but especially in British households, uh, culturally, a lot of the... Co- the um, those that were in the empire i'm blanking on words today um like culturally there's a lot of secrecy in the family um 
mm-hmm. for I don't know why. Uh, I think there's a lot of like your parents have emotions and you don't need to know about that as a child. We don't do that. We don't do well-rounded human emotions. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Like as a kid, you have a lot of, there's just so much mystery because no one tells you anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, I even, I still struggle with this today sometimes in my family because I'm the youngest. And even though I'm a grown ass woman now, people sometimes forget to tell me shit because they never had to before. And I'm like, but you, you have to tell me these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're getting a lot better at it, but like, but it's, it's very much a real thing for children to just be in the dark about stuff. Mm -hmm. And the, the parents think that they're doing the right thing. And they think that this is the best way to go about things. But as you can see in the film, it has a huge impact on her and Mm -hmm. how she's, thinks about herself and I thought that that was incredibly powerful and important uh, for people to see especially Mm -hmm. if you are in one of those types of families or if you are a parent and you're like struggling to understand what to share with your children just understand that not sharing with your children has a massive impact that you may not understand Mm -hmm. uh, is happening like um, just by withholding some information of like something that you just really wish didn't happen in your past or like that bleeds into the beginning of their lives could ruin their life. So like, you know, just like share everything, you know, with a grain of salt, but right. Kids will automatically filter shit out that they don't understand. Right. And like that, like they won't ask questions about those things. Like they're not going to ask what a power of attorney is, you know, or anything like that. But, um, yeah, the, like they will do their best to understand like right it's going to be a lot better than them asking why this and why that you know yeah over and and over again like kids as as with all of us in adulthood like we have incredible imaginations like I, i again just liking to my past like i grew up in the middle of nowhere like literally in the middle of no like no neighbors nothing and my imagination went wild like in a great way like I was able to entertain myself all the time because Mm -hmm. I had my head um and that applies when there are mysteries around you you just start filling in the blanks Mm -hmm. and sometimes the most powerful thought is the one that sticks even if it's not true even if it's not real um it just sticks and your behavior changes because that's what you start believing is what's going on until someone corrects you. And all of these themes are, are very strong, strongly represented in the film. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because, um, you know, like, like you're both saying that uh, it really touches on themes of, of how basically much of a failed enterprise it is to attempt to keep things from your kid for paternalistic reasons. Because, mm-hmm. like, it's just interesting, too, because because parents think that they can hide things from their kids, but your kids always know. They yeah. hear you crying in the bathroom. They <laughs> see the stress of your arguments. They just don't know why it happens, which makes it worse. They know. Yeah. They're not a pet rock. Well, they start blaming themselves if they're, you know, if they're that type of child to start, you know, trying to 
Like I'm trying to make mom happy and mom is never happy. So it must be me. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. cause in their relative heads, I mean, they are the commonality to our, all their experiences. So they think they are the common factor to all these events and they are right. not. Right. Yeah. So yeah, just some, some beautiful, beautiful yeah. storytelling. Yeah. So, when it, so moms and dads, uh, check this film out when it comes out on shutter September 9th. Um, bring your kids have, like, parenting all, like everyone <laughs> watch it together let's have a family movie night yeah uh, thank you for that and thank you both for I'm, I'm glad that we uh, many of us got to see the film and, and talk about its deeper meanings and because uh, I thought it was very moving and, and folks at home yeah absolutely 100% check it out uh, it was great so uh Mike, do you want to go next or do you want to go last? It's really uh, up to you. I'll go. Um, All right. So um, my film is Mad God uh, by Phil Tippett. Um, normally I would do a plot synopsis, but it's not. it doesn't really have a, even remotely a traditional uh, plot. Um, but I will say that... Um, it's it's like 95% stop motion and um so i i know that the history behind this is kind of interesting um apparently phil tippett started working on this in the late 80s early 90s um but i guess after jurassic park he kind of abandoned the project cuz he thought that stop motion was not a thing anymore um mm-hmm. which he was like partly right um and um, so he shelved it, and then I guess um, he did a Kickstarter and was able to uh, fund um, the rest of the film. Um, so it's like roughly uh, 80 minutes. Um, I think it was intended to um, be viewed into like like three chunks. Hmm. Uh, have any of y'all seen it? Yeah, actually, uh, I, I watched this one last night. Cool. Okay, cool. I'm so, halfway through. I'm finishing it. Um, yeah, good because I was like also terrified that I was gonna have to just be <laughs> the only one that um, watched this thing. Um, <laughs> so okay. Um, so my feelings are, it's it would have made a great short film. It's a little bit taxing when it's like this is 80 minutes, but I feel like it's, it's a little bit closer to 90 minutes. Um, now I will say that, you know, maybe it was, um, I know on IMBD, I saw that it was broken up into, uh, three parts, but this was shown mm-hmm. as a complete, um, film. So, um, maybe that's, maybe it's not really intended to be watched, uh, you know, continuously because again, it's, it's, you, you know, um, you can almost tell, um, like, what was older material and, like, what was kind of newer. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, Andre, Jeff, did you did you get what I mean by some of it kind of looks like you can tell? Um, I can see that so far. Yeah, there's, like, a certain, like, um, like you can tell in, in the crispness of the shots of like the animation that like some of it could have been done early nineties, but then like there's some live action stuff 
in lieu of um, stop motion animation, which I, I don't know if it was a stylistic choice or because of uh, difficulty of doing like close up animation for Phil Tippett. Yeah. But it I, did seem like it was newer. Yeah, I will say that um, just viewing it all together was a little bit jarring. Um, material notwithstanding we'll get into that <laughs> um so okay um it's really interesting it's um i mean it it kind of reminded me of like one of the notes that i took was it seemed like some edgy goth high school art project like film project but done at such a massive uh, scale uh, which yeah. I don't mean I don't mean that to sound like a slam because like it's not it's I mean like Phil Tibbet is a legend um yes right I'm and deservedly sure, so yeah so like just you know going over some of his credits um I mean right away you have like stuff like Robocop you have Jurassic mm-hmm. Park you have um Return of the Jedi um he um he did some work on um, Empire Strikes Back. Well, he's um, basically some... one of the the, the most uh, influential and accomplished like stop motion animators outside of Harryhausen. Yeah, yeah. like um, so. I mean, yeah, it, it's so you have like what kind of like I mean, it, this is a hard review because it's it's like it's such a visually stunning and disturbing film it's it's it does it such an injustice to um try to like explain in words um because it really is just a sense it's like just overwhelming visually um it's like staggering at points how meticulous and detailed it is so i that's kind of what kept me going i mean i i didn't mind that it was not really a plot um it it, again it's just more like a stream of consciousness like like it sounds super cliche but i feel like it's maybe one of the closest things to capturing like an actual nightmare Mm -hmm. um where things just don't really have a narrative structure like like a dream slash nightmare weird dream logic yeah like it's stuff's distorted stuff's like i mean this movie so like this movie is covered in dirt and grime and blood and pus and mucus and there's not that's just the theater (laughs) yeah i mean i mean there's not it, it is like the most grimiest movie i've ever seen and that's and that's really saying something because i've seen a lot of mm-hmm. disgusting movies mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and that's not a, i mean and that's not a, a slam i think it's um you know Tippett really swung big with some um with his uh mood and setting and tone um i mean tonally Mm -hmm. it's just very i mean some of it's like later on it seemed like things literally brightened up um again it's a little jarring because i think this 
was maybe meant for like three chunks. Yeah, yeah. like in an, an episodic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when things switch from like, uh, you know, dirty grime to like, um, like day glow, mm-hmm. like bright neon, it's mm-hmm. a little jarring. But I mean, again, I say jarring, but it's not necessarily bad. It's just um it is what it is so it was yeah. just like it, it's just kind of like like it doesn't seem like that's actually the way they intended it to be screened and so to critique it is not even really a criticism of the film per se no it's a criticism of yeah just it's, it's more like a warning yeah I, i'm surprised that like if if it was originally released as like three separate uh acts or chapters like if those weren't in like already in the the full length version yeah. you know like like a act or chapter marker is denoting like you know a separation between you know yeah. those mm-hmm. um cuz the only like like actual narrative that you get is at the very beginning there is like a scroll text literally a scroll text of uh, a quote from Leviticus you know uh, but then after that, you're just like, you're thrown into it. Like, you don't have any reference point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm, like looking, I'm looking it up uh, on IMBD and I had it just open for like reference, but mm-hmm. um, it's split up into two parts one, two, and three, which are dated um, 2014, 2015, and 2018. Um, and then 2021 for just the entire thing. Um, again, I, I, you know, I'm not going to like um, bitch about this a lot, but I was kind of wishing that there was like um, some press material um, that could give me a little more context um, because it seems like the, the making of it um, or at least just um, like the genesis of it would actually be pretty interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, there's really not too, that much. Like, uh, like I said, it's there's a little blurb on Wikipedia, which um, you know, take with a grain of salt. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, apparently, like this was a project that was like over thirty years in the making. Um, and I, I mean, it is really interesting and it's like almost just, like I said, overwhelming with the visuals and the detail. I really mm-hmm. didn't, I super didn't like the live action stuff blended in. I, I, I think sure. it, it took me out of it. Like it took me out of like this wonderland of like grotesque, uh-huh. uh you know well, everything's it, a little bit glitchy a little bit yeah. dirty a little bit wrong yeah like it, it just it felt like i was like just navigating a an a giger uh piece of artwork uh mm-hmm. at times mm-hmm. with yeah, everything just being like phallic-y and skeletal skeletal and um dark and dirty and and you know, I, I keep saying grotesque, but that's, I feel like, the perfect descriptor. Um, I feel like like you gotta be warned by anything that opens with a quote from Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, we, folks at home, we have, uh, we have had to stop recording so many episodes because 
Luna will just come out of the woodwork <laughs> and the first words out of her mouth will be like, anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales <laughs> is to be regarded as unclean by you. Leviticus eleven twelve, And I'm like, God damn it, Luna, we're not even talking about water shit today. Yeah. Damn it's it, not about like, just... consuming the flesh of your children and... Uh... Oh, wait, you can't eat children anymore? That's bullshit. And she's yeah, like, the thanks, Mike. <laughs> she's like, the sons of Aaron, the priest, are to be fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And I'm like, calm down. No, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> the priest just got your name wrong. Just, just get <laughs> I refuse. We're going to talk about it now. <laughs> like, we're talking about unclean water things. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I will say when it kind of came out with that, I was a little eye rolly. Um, yup. And I was like, <laughs> oh like boy. This. Um, I was like, strap in, here we go. But then I was like, okay, I, I, I was digging it until again, um, where you could on, you could obviously tell where stuff was updated and worked on recently, and then it went into like. The live action stuff, which again, it took me out of it, and also it just felt unnecessary, and it didn't, I think, blend well with the rest of the. Sure. Um, because okay, so uh, even if even if these are meant for like chunks, I still kind of feel like it blends live action with the um, stop motion, and it's sure. just again it. it doesn't work for me so andre what did you think because i know you saw the entire thing um yeah um so i i was with it until a certain point and then it lost me for a little bit um it's uh like without spoiling it's, it's like a scene with some surgeons and um literally ripping out the person's guts and everything i was like okay nightmare imagery but then it cut to a different scene from there and i was trying to figure out if this was a different person or if this yeah. was that same person but then it, it does come through after that segment um and then i was with it for the last act you know with, with like the, the baby and the plague doctor i really liked that imagery um and i don't know that there was something uh eerie and like procession like you know almost precious in a way that like maybe at the heart of all of this madness, there's like just a little modicum of um, order and like mm -hmm. reverence almost. Um, but then from there, it just continued on with the same um, uh, like brutality that everything is so prevalent in like the first half or so. So like, I'm not sure what to have walked away from this with or like i'm not sure what phil tippett's um overall point was if not just to illustrate like a pure nightmare world that exists yeah. below our own which i mean just as mm -hmm. a concept that's pretty cool but i mean he must have been working on this for some like ultimate reason yeah, and that's where again, you know, I so I always try to look up the um, press kits because then you get like sometimes um, you get like the statement from the creators where they can give you some like much needed context, um, mm -hmm. 
and this is where I really, really, really needed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah, same. I, I didn't get it. I didn't know. I didn't think that there was an overarching point. Um, I mean, I guess it's almost like you can maybe like piecemeal your own conclusion, but mm-hmm. it didn't feel like there was any intent rather than just a nightmarish kind of um, stream of consciousness. Um, which, I mean, I know I keep coming back to that, but this is really like the only way I can kind of describe it. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a difficult, I mean, I'm kind of glad I'm not writing a formal review of this because you know, I can like describe every, yeah. Like, like you can describe (laughs) everything, but it's almost like it's so, um, visually unresting that it's kind of hard to just really sum up in words. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like there was some like legit stuff. Like I, I, it didn't like disturb me to the point where I had to turn it off, but like I, I started it last night and I finished it, um, today. So I was like, this is probably great to watch at like midnight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like almost before bed. And cause usually Perfect. that shit, that shit doesn't bother me. Like I'll watch like, like true crime stuff, like before bed. It's like my, <laughs> my lullaby it's just so. kind of, the movie just kind of reminded me of my high school reunion <laughs> you know it's all chaos and suffering and yeah. then um you don't know where you are anymore and you lose all track of time or narrative structure yeah also what did you what did you all think about like um so i think jeff how 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 far into it were you you said like uh shoot was about half uh probably about like 40 minutes okay Okay. so there's a lot of like giant breast creatures yeah (laughs) yeah um and i'm like (laughs) that's interesting and also i wonder if that's something phil's working out yeah Uh, it it almost (laughs) looked like a like a, a big booby rancor almost yes oh my gosh yes uh yes big booby rancor is my future band name some diarrhea issues yeah i I definitely i I was thinking rancor and then i was like oh duh he did return of the jedi so yeah yeah Yeah, there's a lot of like uh suggestive rancor imagery in this (laughs) yeah so it's almost like um well george um i so this obviously didn't happen but i like to imagine that this happened where george lucas was like no you cannot have breasts on the rancor and feels he's like, like but, I, but i want it and he's like no he's like for the 80th time no and um, he's like like he's like okay design a rancor and he's like here it's a breast monster. No, you can't put a breast monster in a family film. And he like throws it on a literal pile of other rejected. And he's like, you don't understand me, dad. And you know, uh, I feel like George Lucas should have learned what it's like to tell another creative person. No. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> um, yeah, That's so but... completely true. It, I mean, but what was kind of cool was like it did feel very like, oh, I mean, not really. So it it felt like 
there was like some some elements of Star Wars that it kind of felt like, um, like if like David Lynch got to do his Star Wars, mm-hmm. and by that I kind of mean like the creatures. Um, I mean. I don't know, like, there was kind of, like, what I, I mean, like, especially in New Hope, where everything was kind of, like, it was, like, a dirty, unpolished kind of future, um, not, like, the squeaky clean 2001 kind of future. So it almost, like, in that way, kind of felt a little like Star Wars, which sounds very weird. Um, yeah, but, but like, those, um, the flora and fauna of Star Wars, that it's, like, inherently just very, um malicious you know like like yeah oh like look at this cute little thing making weird noises but like no it's it's hunting something like get out of its way it's gonna devour this like sandworm in front of your eyes and then it's gonna like <laughs> giggle and then slither away um, that's the kind of like you know stuff that i think he put into like the star wars films that definitely comes across here yeah like you can you can kind of see it's interesting like reverse engineering you can kind of see like some of the like more like horrific fantasy elements that he kind of snuck into like some of his like more mainstream work um Mm -hmm. well and and also like specifically um he worked on starship troopers and like a lot of those creatures i'm like yeah that's (laughs) very much but again, just with breasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, folks at home, go see Mad God. It's exactly like Star Wars if Star Wars were made by Freud. Bring your children. Yeah, do it. Yeah, <laughs> they need to know where they fed. Yeah, don't hide anything well, from them. <laughs> yeah, we've established that's well, a bad plan. Yeah. I was thinking, like, when you said about Martyrs Lane and, like, oh, take your children, I was like, this is kind of a perfect segue into. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, it was a lot. It was. Um, it's, it's interesting. Like, it's. So, Luna, um, it's still streaming until this evening? Today at 4.30. Today? Uh, ah, shit. 430 <laughs> West Coast, excuse yeah. me. So it would be oh, more okay, so I have some more time. For you. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, so it, it's um, still up on the platform. It's not very long. They said it's like 83 minutes is what they say the runtime is, but um, maybe a little less when you factor in like the um, probably like two or three minutes of credit. So um, yeah. yeah, check it out if you can. It is just very weird and um actually have you all seen much of like david lynch's like short films like his early films uh i haven't seen a lot of the early ones um andre did you i couldn't hear you did you say uh i've seen a couple but those were like his 2d um like i don't know what style that is but like you know those old school projectors um that you know you would get when your teacher like does a math problem on the like on the plastic piece of paper or whatever um that i think the the one that i remember the most is like it's super long titles but like one of them was like three men get sick and then one of them die Mm. or something like that it was like a super short film it was like five minutes yeah like it kind of it almost kind of reminded me of some of his like super early films like um let me look here there was like one that um 
like uh it kind of like reminded me of like um the grandmother and the alphabet which mm. was like um, the eraser head um also did anybody else get like eraser head baby vibes from the um like baby a little bit but it was it seemed a little too cute Oh. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, Who's a little nightmare baby? And then, like, there was something that almost looked like the Tingler, and I got really excited because I was wondering if <laughs> Phil Tippett was referencing the Tingler. And... I really worry if someone's like, like, and I was a little like the Tingler, and I got really excited. It's always a little worrisome to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> just mess around. We all gotta have a little tingler in our life, right? Yeah. Who doesn't? That's um, true. No, but like I was thinking, like he's uh, a person of a certain age, so I mean, I I'm I can't imagine he's not like influenced by like um, William Castle kind of stuff. So, um, it definitely looked like a tingler to me. So I'm just gonna say that's what that's what it was. You know what? That's canon now. Yep, it's canon. I accept that. Tinglers are in the realm of Mad God, so you you heard it here first. (laughs) And to be fair, we are the only people I've seen that actually, like, explained any of the film. So, that counts. Yeah, (laughs) and also, can we just do a Tingler episode? That's a monster. It is a monster. Okay. Um, Um, I want to do that with, I want to pair it with, like, Shivers. Oh, and they're comparing because they're like both parasitic, like yeah. Plus, how else are we going to get an excuse to do shivers? I think they work. That would make a fun double feature. Um, I think right. And like they're both kind of (laughs) onomatopoeias. Yes, (laughs) correct. (laughs) And you know what's what's kind of amazing about the Tingler is it's the first depiction of an LSD trip. And it's with Vincent Price, and it's done in color. Mm-hmm. Anything with there Vincent Price is um, flawless. But um, yeah, so just wrapping up, it was weird as hell. There's a lot of breast monsters, and it's a good time for the whole family. So check it out. Yeah, Take your kids, pre-book your therapist appointment. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one not to watch if you're in a really dark or weird place because it's a lot uh well th- thank you so much for that mike um and for that caveat i think that's notable <laughs> and important um so for mine uh i was choosing between two but then i ultimately decided to pick uh ruben martell's don't say its name Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Fine. It was an interesting one. Uh, uh, Luna, did you see it? Did you see it? I did. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. I saw did y'all get to see it? Cool. I did not Good. see it. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Um, well, okay. So it takes place in this um, kind of isolated, snowy indigenous community. I think it takes place in Canada. Certainly filmed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this mining company has made this recent agreement for drilling on tribal land. And. Uh, you know, they, 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 they sign the checks and they shake the hands. And so it's approved, but it's still going to be harmful to the local area as mining often is. And there's this local activist who protests the deal when really early on she's, she's killed. And uh, 
so this um, local sheriff uh, and a park ranger who gets kind of deputized start investigating who who killed her. And meanwhile, while they're doing that, uh, these supernatural events start to occur and, and that, that are attacking people that are associated with the company. And it's really interesting. Like every time there's an attack, you know, you'll you'll have someone be unable to stop smelling something that nobody else can tell. And that's when you know the person's going to get it. Um, I, I thought this, I, I won't spoil anything about the ending, but I thought it was okay. So conceptually, I think it's very interesting. I, I liked the story and the story world. I thought the, the structure and the pacing of it were really nice. The, um, the special effects for the, uh, otherworldly things that happen were very well done overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what, I mean, it's, it's an indie film. I'm sure they weren't working with the highest budget in the world, but, but it lands where it needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest issue that I had with it is I was a little disappointed because I thought the performances were a little bit um, inconsistent. Like the leads were pretty good, but mm-hmm. other than the leads, no. So, <laughs> yeah. Which is too bad because I wanted to love the ever-loving hell out of it. Mm-hmm. But it lands where it needs to. It's definitely worth your time. And um, don't drill in tribal areas, you jerk. Um, yeah. Or or the you know nature itself is gonna hunt you down. Yeah. And we won't help you. We won't. No. Mm-mm. We'll watch. Yeah. But what did you folks think about it? I really enjoyed it. Um, I I agree that there was like a little bit on the performance side that wasn't mm-hmm. um, like outstanding. But again, they were kind of the like secondary tertiary characters, but still. Yeah. Yeah. The leads were good. The leads were good. Yeah. Um, I really loved that it was like indigenous written, mm-hmm. directed, yes. acted. I just, I love, love, love that. Um Ditto. I thought that it was so delightful to be immersed in a film with the cadence of speech that you have to kind of get used to. It's very similar to my mm-hmm. household. <laughs> mm. Trinidadian. And it's just, it's nice to like be like, no, this is authentic. Like this is, this is just the way we talk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but of course, indigenous and not Trinidadian. But you know what I'm saying, um, right? 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 But yeah, like I just thought that it was it was delightful to not have like this like like North Americanized you know way of telling the story. It's like no, you're telling your own fucking story, and we could deal with it. Like right, I right, just, right. That alone like carried me throughout the movie. Um, but I really enjoyed the whole aspect of the film and the haunting and all of that stuff, obviously, is my jam. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely like would agree with you on I, I loved how you it really just felt embedded in in its place mm-hmm. and in its community. And you it didn't try and like over explain anything to the viewers like this is where it's set. Suck it up. And it it, yep. it very proudly owned its context. And I thought that was kind of. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Big fan of that. And like, I, I wasn't really irked with it with any of the, the performances. I, I thought it all like pointed towards like the, the big mystery of the film and everything. Um, I guess I, uh, I was a little disappointed in how the, the tone was a little bit more focused on being more of like a murder mystery um, procession sure. rather than what it eventually pointed towards, which is like, uh, like more of a supernatural um, horror story that like sure. was uh, that sort of breeds from the beginning of the film. And it's mm-hmm. like the, the relationship with the mining company sort of festers that, um, uh, that community's wound. And right. Uh, while that mm-hmm. would still come across in like the horror focused telling of the story, I think maybe they're focusing on it as a, not a procedural, but yeah, like a murder mystery kind of like focus on the events. Uh, I think maybe cheapened it a little bit, but not, not saying that that makes it uh, less than, uh, but rather, I don't know. Um, I think I I kind of gather what you're saying. Um, yeah, you don't mind me venturing an interpretation and telling me if I'm bullshit. No, no. Um, cause, cause I, I, I think you might be feeling something similar to, to one of the things I felt, which is, uh, when they're dealing with the supernatural aspects, it really lands. Mm -hmm. Like they do that really well. Those scenes are very well paced. They very much know what they're doing. And it's not to say again, that they don't know what they're doing elsewhere. It's just, those really worked. And it would have worked. It would have been very fulfilling. I think if uh, even more so if, if it, if it kind of took that direction more is what I'm gathering from you. Yeah. Like sort of if it ran with it and um, mm-hmm. that like there are some rules that, you know, come, that come with the territory. And I think um, even if it just glossed over it, because it's a supernatural entity that has happened and has been represented in film before. Uh, I don't want to ruin it, but just to to leave it there. But um, I think if we had that, because it it seems like there are some modified or additional rules that uh, are more specific to either that region of indigenous peoples and also um, maybe a little bit more specific to the film that they were making, like creating their own um, unique version of it. And I think mm-hmm. if they had meted out sort of uh, rules or laws pertaining to that entity, I, I think it would have been a little bit more of like a like an involving film, you know, for the audience to like. Yeah. So now we know how this works. We know why the mother is doing what she's doing. You know, like at at some point she she has a fire going, and then she's like she's encanting things and you're not quite sure why because it doesn't really focus on that side of it um so yeah i think if if it brings us in a little bit more um it would be a lot more engrossing so i just felt like i was a little bit at a distance while watching it but still thoroughly enjoying it interesting yeah Yeah, i i appreciate that i um i can kind of see where you're coming from for sure Mm -hmm. like especially the way you just described it 
I also feel like uh, that might have been over explaining for people that just knew what was going on from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and like okay. in that sense, I'm like, well, don't don't do it. Don't explain it for my sake. Like if if the if indigenous people from that region or whatever, whoever they made the movie for, if they watch it and they're like oh i 100 percent know what's going on then Mm -hmm. that's good enough and i can read if i need to um but i do under it's kind of a double-edged sword then because if people don't really understand what's going on they may not engage with the film as much so i see i see both sides of it but i'm so i'm always so sensitive to like over explaining something that yeah you know should mm-hmm. be more should be wide known but isn't because colonialism mm-hmm. um and yeah you know yeah that's better. forcing indigenous people to keep doing that over and over and over right to feel obligated to like make it work for us right. rather than make us accommodate and and be smarter and figure shit out yeah yeah but I, there are other aspects of the film that I really, really appreciated um, mm-hmm. to that end, like around the authenticity of this being set in an indigenous community and like the, the like little comments on serving as veterans, like they were veterans for mm-hmm. the U.S. Yeah. Or, or was it the U.S.? Uh, or was it Canada? Yeah, they're... I, I believe it's a Canadian community. Okay, so yeah, like being veterans to the whatever military um, and like dying at a higher rate than everyone else but never getting any of the like notoriety for it. Um, mm-hmm. Like there are more indigenous people in the military than like per capita like by their by the percentage of the population and Mm -hmm. like no one knows that unless you look it up like but they know that um so it's just like a lot of those like little little hints at like things we should all know but don't Mm -hmm. and i wonder why (laughs) i do love like all the little subtleties of like how um you know uh they, they sort of like they really just grounded it in that world and then made us come to it. And it felt very lived in. And I, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So yeah, I, I would definitely say folks at home, uh, check it out and yeah, it's absolutely worth your time. Definitely recommend it. And hopefully it does well enough. They get a direct director's cut. And I can see more of that cool entity because mm-hmm. they did a good job with it. And I would love to, you know, revisit it a little bit more again. Yeah. And this would be a great acquisition for Shudder too. Cause like, uh, I, I think that its audience would definitely explode a little bit, you know, if oh, they gave it that platform. Yup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, cause I, I also know that like, uh, really good um entries in in sort of indigenous horror uh totally land on shutter because i know blood mm-hmm. quantum was huge oh yeah and the deadlands um, another too. very talented genre. yeah right right and and all of them including this film 
are extreme, like very well done, very talented. And, and uh, so I know that the platform definitely likes to acquire diverse, mm-hmm. you know, films from diverse filmmakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's, that's my review. Check it out. And Shudder, hey. you know, obviously, obviously, because we, we were putting it out there into the world. Shudder um, pays attention to all of our recommendations. And <laughs> Damn we'll right. do it literally <laughs> once this comes out. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> that is the right response. Speaking but, of that, I'm actually it. kind of excited. Um, I know Luna's going to be super excited. Uh, Hellbender's coming to Shudder. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I, and I, I think I was actually just talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, so there's this movie that's going to come out on Shudder. You should watch it. <laughs> Just begrudgingly Don't. recommending it to them. Yeah, <laughs> like I want I want people to watch it. And I want them to form their own opinion, and I want to like you know support the filmmakers. Um, and at the same time, it's like, or then someone else can like sit with me and grumble. <laughs> um, I, I will say it was it was really awesome. So um, I actually got to um, sit down with. So it's a um, wife, husband, daughter um, trio um, that make these films, and um, they're they have another daughter, and I'm I have to look up her name. Um, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so all all three of them, we uh, Friday I got to do a um, interview with them via zoom and that was a lot of fun and um uh it is um zelda is the daughter uh toby poser's the mom um john adams is the father and the other actress i couldn't think of that's their daughter is uh lulu adams um the latter was not on with us um but it was yeah it was really fun um especially um it was like really cool to um, when like creators can give you feedback on um, something you um, said and wrote about their film. Um, that's always exciting and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all positives though. Um, it was, it was kind of not, it was really refreshing because I jumped on a few minutes early and somebody actually had um, finished early um like for those not in the know um when you do like um press junkets you only have like a small window of time and um you know i'm trying to i always try to be like super respectful of um you know keeping within that time frame so you know, I always jump on a little early. And um, so anyways, long story short, it was cool because we got a little extra time to talk and they right off the top of the um, the interview was um, complimenting my review. And um, that's really nice. And for our final film, it's uh, it's one that won't be premiering at Fantasia until the 25th. It closes out the festival. Uh, it's, it's, it's the new film by one of at least one of, uh, I think we all really like his work yeah. by and large, but yeah. I, I love uh, Takashi Miike, who has done a hundred odd films and is one of the most imaginative 
fun filmmakers working today internationally. Um, at least in my estimation, for whatever that's worth. Uh, <laughs> but his new film, uh, that's funny because he's done so much stuff and the tone varies so widely uh, in the sense that like, he's done stuff like Audition and then he can manage an imaginative high fantasy film that's totally kid friendly yeah. and mm-hmm. very impressive. Uh, so in uh, there's a series of films in the sixties uh, that are all about yokai, uh, Japanese folklore creatures. Uh, and in 2005, Takashi Miike uh, readapted the first one, which is like, uh, I don't remember the title, so I'll just act like I knew it. Um, but uh, this one is an independent story. It's called The Great Yokai War Guardians. Uh, the Great Yokai War was the title of the 2005 uh, first one that he did. And uh, it, it, the general premise is that these ancient sort of fossils that were from deep ancient Japan. Uh, they gather together and, and, and want to return to the sea. So they transform themselves into this massive, angry composite yokai creature. So, and it looks like this giant city sized bone mollusk really with a mm-hmm. humanoid face and their method of returning to the sea involves them rolling across Japan, which will cut it in half, release terrible ancient forces and literally just destroy Japan. So, um, the only like humans are really by and large oblivious to this world. And, and the yokai are the only ones that are sort of concerned about it and aware of it, except for this one elementary school student, uh, Watanabe, and he lives in uh, uh, Saitama, a uh, place in Saitama. And he inherits the blood of a legendary like yokai hunter. And so he has to partner with these good yokai, because uh, there's a wide continuum of these creatures, to try and find some way to stop this ancient, malevolent, ang- very, 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 very angry uh, massive yokai force from destroying Japan. And... Uh, We've all seen it. Um, it's the only thing I'll say right now is it's absolutely magical. And this being a monster podcast, it has monsters for years. Like it just has so many, so many. every, everyone. And they all have, they're all different and it's just magical. Um, uh, Luna, I know you kind of wanted to, to express some of your thoughts while you had a chance. Yeah. I just want to say that this, this was such a delight to watch like knowing like as soon as it started i was like oh this is a different type of mike film <laughs> <laughs> and once i understood that then i was like oh this is delightful it was like it was like some a strange never ending story nightbreed situation <laughs> with this like super cute kid as a hero i loved how each monster had its own like purpose and its mm-hmm. own personality and how they just they were completely complex in and of their individual monster selves and then like they're all they all have their different drives as they're trying to figure out how to save Japan and 
how, mm-hmm. how to work with this kid. Um, I did. I definitely cried at one point because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the monster cried, and so that means I cry. That'll um, do it for us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just had a lot of fun. It was so cute. It was delightful. Yeah, yeah and I, I love the 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 young protagonist because um, there's like good yokai and that are you know they're all various. They're not like cookie cutter, but. Uh, they contrast against these more demonic yokai variants that are, uh, you know, have an entirely different take on the situation. And, but the, the protagonist is such like a little ball of light that he like forgives the bad ones and it moves them. And he's just like a little spunky hero. And it's, it's incredibly charming. Yes. Charming is a great word for it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you? What about you, fine folks, Mike and Andre? And thank you, Luna. By the way, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I uh, really liked it. Um, you know, charming is is definitely a great descriptor. Um, yeah, it it, it really. Um, I was kind of worried, like how um, like tonally it was going to be, but I think that um, you know, Mike really like stuck the landing on that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, consistently um, like whimsical and, and it's, there's some, I wouldn't even say maybe dark, but there's um, some t- like, you know, I mean, it, it does get into like some like things that um, are a little jarring, like, um, like the, the, um, one of the yukai was um, like carried around her like seemingly dead baby, mm-hmm. yep. um, which I was like, oh, okay, like like so. I mean, it's it, it's something that like you wouldn't necessarily like think of seeing in a kids movie, but I'm wondering if like maybe culturally that's something so ubiquitous, like that. Um, like I know like the imagery. Um, with like you know the pale skin the you know um like straight black hair um and i'm mm-hmm. i'm totally i'm showing how ignorant i am i'm totally blanking on um what what that kind of form of like spirits called but um i mean you see it in a lot of like like uh japanese horror um going back mm-hmm. to like the 60s um <laughs> but um you know and and there was that cool effect where it's like always snowing just around her um but i'm like i'm like wondering like like culturally i'm like is it maybe not jarring for kids to see like that imagery um maybe that's just me being western centric i don't know i I thought it was um a a yokai that was specific for like mothers who had been in the same situation like there being a force to provide um some sort of uh, like comfort in that that they're not alone in that situation. Like yeah. if they give birth to it, like a stillborn or like maybe not literally looking like the way that yokai looks in the film, but it just being a visual representation of like the sadness of a mother's loss, that so just to give them um, some kind of uh, like comfort in identity and representation. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. 
um yeah i it's not yeah. that i think that it shouldn't have shouldn't have been in there i just was thought mm. it was interesting because the rest of the thing is very whimsical um like children's movie or like um so yeah. that's why i was kind of yeah. curious if if maybe i'm just looking at it too narrowly from a western perspective um yeah it would be interesting to you know um i should just do a cultural deep dive and, and see if that's um you know something that yeah i need to yeah. update my learning on yeah, but I, I, I think there's like there's there's like hundreds of of yokai right and um and i don't know specifically which one is i'm not an expert at this time because there are so many and it's not a culture that i come from but with that caveat there's one uh called yubume if if i'm not butchering that and um it she represents a woman like a woman that has died during childbirth and sometimes and, and often carrying around like a baby um which sometimes is dead and sometimes if you were to grab the baby from her it would just be like a wrapped up bundle of sticks rocks mm. objects so i think maybe this is a representation of that oh, okay so i'm just i'm curious if that is is so ubiquitous in the culture that like a child would not would not only understand that but also super not be phased by that or maybe they're just like peripherally aware of it but like they won't focus on it because it's just doesn't apply to them or isn't interesting or yeah. like they're not seeking it out, but they know that there is one. Yeah. Like it's in the cultural, you know, zeitgeist, zeitgeist if you will, yeah. like the, the folkloric zeitgeist. Like maybe they've seen an image of it, but their mind just doesn't necessarily focus on that, but they're like, Oh, what about this, this lady with like the really long neck or, you know, the umbrella yokai, like, stuff like i feel like there's since there's so many um people will tend to focus on the ones that um fascinate them the most or interest them or are more applicable to their um everyday lives i think yeah that's just my guess also western perspective <laughs> yeah and i also it's curious i mean because i know that um mike you know you you can't pin him down to one thing like jeff said in the the intro he's done literally hundreds of movies spanning numerous genres so this could just be like a del toro thing where he's you know that's his unique perspective or flavor on a children's fantasy um or again it could just be you know my misunderstanding of the culture which is very um very likely <laughs> but um yeah I, I i it's such a great movie though it's it's um it really um i mean there were some things that i think didn't work and you know we can get into that later but i think that it's um a pretty fun um really well made i mean you could i mean you can tell that this is made from somebody that knows filmmaking like inside and out like every aspect um like there's i mean it's it's incredible filmmaking on display i think the plot 
it was a little saggy, but we can get into that later. But I mean, just from a technical standpoint, um, it's like really fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't, it, it seems like a, a nice, um, I, I wouldn't call it update, but like, um, follow up to this, like a spiritual successor follow up that he did, um, from 2005's great yokai war where, uh, it also uses like the same uh, hero's journey beats that goes through, um, you know, just to hit like those. Um, what am I trying to say? Like the um, the fantastical adventure arc and uh, contour of the film, but it, it also has like a really unique. Uh, an exciting B story that happens alongside it. And um, I don't know, I I think is probably a better follow-up to his own film that was based on another film. So uh, it it also includes um, a a larger world of yokai that also introduces like a giant version of the yokai, which... um, shows up in the first part of the movie with like the giant mollusk just like tearing through Japan, um, which sort of shows that it's not all going to be um, like hundreds of smaller yokai fighting one giant one. Like there, there has to be some, some other balance that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. And th- the way that that comes about is probably like one is definitely sorry definitely one of the the most more moving parts of of the movie uh which goes back to what luna said about um the emotional beat and heart of the film and i think uh at this point it's safe to say that mike needs to be uh given a kaiju film to just like do whatever he wants to do with 100 percent. yeah because they, I mean, without spoiling that bit, they do sing pretty much a kaiju song. Everyone sings along, and it is like pretty glorious. And that's something that a lot of kaiju films, um, the American ones certainly, don't even focus on. Is like music is something that really gets to like the heart and soul of like a giant monster. Because you know sometimes they just they just get a little worked up and they need to get calmed down. Yeah, they just need to chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, music soothes the savage beast. Exactly. And literally. Yeah, I like I really like that aspect. It's almost like I felt like um it would be jarring unless you've like seen other um like films of this ilk, um, especially from like Mike. Um like I'm blanking on a title, Jeff and Andre. I'm sure you can help me fill in the blanks. It was like the happiness of the oh what? categories. Categories, mm-hmm. yes. Yep. Um, yeah. It almost kind of reminded me of that a teeny bit because um, I've only seen it like a couple of times, but I feel like there's like some spontaneous music in that. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm mm-hmm. remembering yep. that correctly, and uh, it almost like felt like. A little bit in that kind of universe um 
and it is interesting too like you're you're mentioning culturally how like in american monster movies no like the military or another monster you know depending on what specific threat it is but there's definitely like uh, a tradition to you know good-hearted appeals to the kaiju or or singing songs that appease it and you'll see that in like daikaiju you'll see that in mothra so it's definitely like yeah, a, a, it's definitely a tradition we don't have here mm-hmm yep you know, it's definitely like a tradition that we don't culturally have here but it's super cool yeah and that's something they could have tried in the uh just going to like the monster verse stuff with um like king kong versus godzilla because mm-hmm. the way that and i didn't see the monster verse kong skull island but um in a lot of the west i mean like the uh the older iterations of King Kong films um, that like he's, he's roused by like, you know, drum beats and chanting and singing. Uh, but that also counts, I think as like a, a Kaiju song, a giant monster song totally. or ritual. And like, I think could have been uh, burst from there uh, to include like, I don't mm-hmm. know, like a, a natural progression of, uh, musical um, appeals to the monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting too because it is like it's something that, like you mentioned, is in the original King Kong, and it carries over into King Kong versus Godzilla, mm-hmm. but is not present in the American remakes at all. So it's another example of that cultural context that's super interesting. Um. Yeah, it would be kind of awesome to see um, if, I mean, if it was done respectfully, if they could maybe do that in a Western film, um, like in a Western monster movie. Because um, it is it is really interesting. And I, I mean, who doesn't love a good musical number? <laughs> no, totally. Especially when it's like being, you know, sung to... A giant beast god. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, respectfully, I mean, I don't want it to feel like it's appropriating, um, like, culturally. But, yeah, I mean, I I just want musical numbers, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say, in monster movies. So, <laughs> I feel like there are ways that you could do it that aren't, like, otherizing or exoticizing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, like, you could even have it be, like, the monster overhears, like, someone doing a live performance, and they become fascinated with it. It doesn't even involve other cultures. There's ways to fit it in. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I love the movie. It definitely, like, uh, the, the 2005 one, which I know, Andre, you saw, it has, like, a very similar tone, but the story is entirely independent. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah the... that's it. Oh, go sorry, go on. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, the 2005 one reminded me a little bit more of like uh, like a Wagnerian like ring cycle sort of scope that, that goes from uh, like recruiting the hero and then mm-hmm. uh, taking the like the perilous journey, you know, forward with mm-hmm. like a motley crew of 
like randomly seeming assorted yokai to overcome like to overcome this unspeakable evil which mm-hmm. is really just kind of focused on kind of just one guy or like one specific demonic yokai yeah um, but with this one it seems much more of like an overwhelming force that every yokai needs to rally against and yeah. like use your um uh your or or their um collective powers and abilities to communally work together to mm-hmm. repel and i think that comes across a lot stronger um in in this film and is ultimately uh it ultimately leads up to like a bigger grander and a more emotional finish which then leads into you know the song and then like the finale and the denouement and it just really i don't know everything about this worked for me (laughs) pretty much me too like i love that it also teases so there's this big apocalyptic threat but then it also teases that there are consequences to it's there are other additional consequences like it unleashes something even worse maybe Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it teases they were talking about this that. big world. Yeah, because I the the sadist in me kind of wanted to see it go into the ocean, just like to see how it mm-hmm. could get worse. But mm-hmm. it makes sense where they went from there. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I loved it. Um, I would recommend folks at home that you uh you check it out and. Uh, and if you get uh, so Arrow, the the distributor, um, is going to be releasing a remastered set of the original three sixties uh, mm-hmm. yokai films, and also with it is going to be a remastered release of Mike's two thousand five yokai film, uh, which is long overdue. Yeah. <laughs> Like to watch that in preparation for this episode, we had to like find a, a copy on YouTube that was not great quality. So, um, but uh, check it out and uh, check out the film, and hopefully, you get a chance to see it on the twenty fifth. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, and it, it's such a great send off for uh, this year's Fantasia Festival because it's yeah, it's literally all of. Like you can even posit all of like the the smaller yokai as being all of the films that were uh, put into the festival, all the attendees and everything, just like mm-hmm. singing singing the song together and just like letting the I don't know the the film gods happy, making them happy. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so. Uh, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned like like kind of even being able to posit and in, in the frame because. There's just we we can't really emphasize this enough. There is so much detail in <laughs> yeah. the film. Every single yokai has a different backstory, a different personality. Uh, they're all very detailed and in construction. Like it's it's not like you have, um, you know, just like one. You have like a hundred werewolves. It's like you have such a diversity. Like it makes Nightbreed look small. <laughs> like it's ridiculous, and um, it's yeah, it's just 
completely imaginative and creative, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that, uh, folks, on thank you uh, so much for spending some more time with us, and and hopefully you get a chance to check out some of these films. All the ones we discussed are, are absolutely worth your time. And uh, stay tuned for we have one final piece of Fantasia coverage where we're just gonna wax poetic about our our takeaway favorites uh, coming up. And uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the fest. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization. The need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 